What's up, everyone? I hope everyone had a wonderful week and are starting the weekend right. This is Neil from Grassroots Security Podcast, and thanks for listening. Carrie is off today undergoing some maintenance, so it'll just be me. Booyah! So we'll just go straight into it. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own, and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. I know that we are just at the start of September, but October is Cybersecurity Month, so I am sure that there will be a lot of security awareness efforts across the globe next month. If you are in Europe, the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity, called ENISA, has a website on the European Cybersecurity Month and you can be an organizer. I'll have a link in the description below, but the site is cybersecuritymonth.eu. Speaking of October, for those in the application security field, you probably know that the Open Web Application Security Project, or OWASP, has its Global AppSec 2020 event, but it has gone virtual. Their sessions, both paid and free, are available all month in October. OWASP has done so much in the application security area, especially with their OWASP Top 10. So if you are interested, just drop by the OWASP.org website. Now on with some updates. During the first week of September, there were a few guidelines or principles released by governments. The first one was from the U.S. government on the cybersecurity principles for space systems. We won't go to the rationale of why they created such a document after all the cybersecurity problems we have on Earth. It's only six pages, but they only got to the principles on page four, where section four is. Was there anything new? No, but it was placed in the context of space systems. And they still promoted a risk-based approach. An interesting note is that there is a principle that space systems should be developed to continuously monitor, anticipate, and adapt to mitigate malicious cyber activities that could manipulate, deny, degrade, disrupt, destroy, survey, or eavesdrop on space systems operations. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but this sounds like a pipe dream, since if they can create a system that could anticipate and adapt to malicious activities, they would have a multi-billion dollar capability in their hands, and we will have a significant portion of our security problems solved. Sarcasm aside, they do talk about resilience, which is important for a space system, given that human life may be dependent on that system. They also asked for plans to incorporate protections related to unauthorized access, physical security, and communications protection, and then for certain systems like ground systems to adopt best practices and hygiene mentioning the NIST cybersecurity framework which is used by a large number of organizations as their framework for protecting their organization. The memo also went on to the management of supply chain risks. Supply chain risk is an often overlooked area. If you rely on a third party to either produce a component or provide a service, they should have their risk managed because a security incident on their side may impact the space system in question. For example, if the third party has a way of communicating to the space system, Attackers may go through that third party to compromise the space system. Another interesting note, and something that I support in general, is the collaboration principle. The memo specifies that space system owners and operators should collaborate to promote the development of best practices. The memo even mentioned the use of information sharing and analysis centers, or ISACs, to the greatest extent possible. The ISACs have probably been one of the best developments in security, especially in the last decade. 
If you were doing security in the 90s or in the early 2000s, there was not a lot of collaboration happening as organizations were afraid to share information, especially attacks that impacted them. Then, the financial industry started collaborating more given that they have the same interests and also to protect the financial system, which may impact their business. Though admittedly, the U.S. Presidential Decision Directive 63 of 1998, which mandated public and private sectors share information about physical and cybersecurity threats and vulnerabilities to protect the critical infrastructure via these ISACs, probably made this more visible. So the Financial Services ISAC or FSISAC was born and other ISACs were established as well. For those in the healthcare industry, there is the Health ISAC with their website hisac.org. The other government that released a guideline was the Australian government. The Australian government released last September 3 a voluntary code of practice for securing the Internet of Things or IoT for consumers. This code of practice is meant for the industry, that is, device manufacturers, IoT service providers, and mobile application developers. In the document, it outlined 13 principles for securing IoT. I have placed a link in the description to the document. I'd like to cover a few of those principles in today's podcast as I consider them addressing the common issues with IoT. Number one, no duplicated default or weak passwords. Your password is incorrect. This principle is fundamental. A number of manufacturers place default passwords like admin admin or admin with no passwords. This has brought about the Mirai botnet because of default passwords, and they were passwords that were the same across multiple devices. The principle is that each device's password should be unique, unpredictable, complex, and unfeasible to guess, and not resettable to any factory default value common to multiple devices. Number two, keep software securely updated. Software on IoT devices should be securely updatable. An important note here is that updates should be automatic by default, but not impact the device's functionality. This is probably difficult to implement in a controlled environment, but for consumer products, this is really a must. Another aspect of this principle is that the end-of-life policy should be clear to the consumer, which states how long the device will receive software updates. A lot of consumers and organizations have devices that are not receiving updates anymore because the life cycle of the device was not considered. People still think that once you buy it, you just leave it as is and it will work with no problems. Unfortunately, that's not the case as vulnerabilities will be identified and they need to be addressed. Number three, ensure personal data is protected. This principle was actually broken down into a few other principles, but if the device will be storing personal data, it should meet the data protection laws of the country where they will be sold in. It also mentioned privacy protected by default and consent obtained explicitly. One should also ensure that personal data is protected in transit and at rest or stored. Number four, minimize exposed attack surfaces. A number of IoT devices are normally built from an embedded operating system, but some are built from general operating systems like Linux or Windows, using minimal versions of them. However, there are cases wherein certain services are not disabled or removed. For example, it may be running a web service that is accessible on the public internet instead of just accessible in the private network. Or that certain services are running 
which are not necessary to the functionality of the device. And there may be services that are running in higher privileges than they should. Each of these services become an additional attack surface because each one of them could be a target. And five, ensure software integrity and resilience. I'm combining two principles here. Software on IoT devices should not be changed outside of authorized updates. Any changes should be alerted to the consumer or administrator. Another aspect is to ensure resilience. If there is a power outage or it loses connectivity, it should still be able to operate after the power or connectivity is restored. That is, it should be able to recover cleanly. What you want to avoid is that the device stops working after the power outage has ended. And that's it. Please check those two guidelines I provided in the description. I hope this has been useful and I hope you have a wonderful weekend, especially in the US who are having a Labor Day weekend. Till then, Slan Gafal, take care and keep safe.